it wasn't until I became a resident and more so when I became an attending physician that I started noticing that it's actually very difficult to be a female physician. In this episode, Dr. Starling, a female neurologist, and Tyler, a male registered nurse, discussed their experiences with gender stereotypes. Tyler, tell me a little bit about your journey to becoming an RN. I talked to my guidance counselor in high school, didn't really have a direction where I wanted to go. He uh, was helpful in suggesting the CNA class for me to go take and one of my other colleagues. We're the only two people in the class that were male out of about 15 other females, which I, at the time, I didn't really know the differences in the female-dominated field of uh, CNAs, I guess. So we ended up taking the class and I worked as a CNA for about eight months. And then I ended up wanting to move on. As you can imagine, going through school, not a lot of male nurses. I didn't really notice a whole lot of differences being a male to female minus the study groups where I had to squeeze myself in just because I felt that I was out of place. As time went on, I saw more and more guys come into the field. And now this was probably like seven years ago when I graduated. But then once I got to my bachelor's degree, I noticed it was probably 10, 15 men in my class and it got to be more and more male dominated working here in the clinic and the hospital. I've noticed that there have been times where I'm the only guy there. Sometimes there's five, 10 of us, but it's becoming more and more apparent that men are becoming more interested in being registered nurses. For me to become a physician, it was a very, very young age. And interestingly, my family is from Bangladesh, uh, which is a country right next to India. And many of the females in my family are physicians. So I never really thought it was odd that I wanted to become a physician. And my parents always really encouraged that. And so I never really doubted that it's something I'd be able to do. Going through um, undergrad and grad school and even in medical school, my medical school class was 60% women and 40% male. And so it still never really hit me that it was gonna be a big deal to be a female physician because in medical school, it was not a big deal. When I was on my clinical rotations in medical school, hey, I'm the medical student. I'm already the lowest person on the totem pole. So anything that implicated I wasn't important or anything invalidating, I just assumed, hey, it's because I'm the medical student. It wasn't until I became a resident and more so when I became an attending physician that I started noticing that it's actually very difficult to be a female physician. Someone had recently asked me when I'm on the inpatient service, how often is it that people think that you're not a physician? And I said, every day and at least once or twice a day that I'm assumed to be a nurse or someone else on the healthcare team, but not the physician. Even after I've talked to the patient, the question often is, well, when is the doctor going to come in? And I've introduced myself as Dr. Starling, right? I'm Dr. Starling. I'm your attending physician. This happens on a daily basis when I'm on the inpatient service. And there was like shock around the room from all the male physicians, as well as all the male and female administrators and support staff, that it happens that frequently. The female physicians were like, yeah, you guys don't know it happens all the time, like every day. 
It wasn't until then that I realized that it makes a big difference. And for a while, I didn't know how to address it. I remember a situation in which I was there with a full group of female residents. I was the attending physician and the only male on the medical team was the medical student. And the whole time the patient was looking at the medical student, finally the medical student goes, I'm the medical student. She's the boss. She's the one you need to be talking to. I'm curious from your perspective, Tyler, being a male nurse in a field where you may in the past have been assumed to be the doctor, how has it felt and have you felt the need to set the story straight in situations or say something like, oh yeah, you know, males can be nurses too. You know, it's funny that you did mention that because that's happened on a daily basis, even to the clinic here. Calling patients, they always think that I'm the doctor calling other test results when in fact I'm reading off a script. I think even being in the hospital, seeing these patients, I'm wearing the same scrubs as all the other nurses that they still think that I'm wearing the white coat underneath. I've gotten to the point now where I do correct them, but if it's somebody, you know, like in their 80s, 90s, that still think that way, I just got to go with it. When is it that you correct things or when is it that you don't correct things? And that's a thing I struggle with all the time. And you kind of get exhausted. I've learned and I've accepted to embrace that it's a part of my responsibility, especially as a role as an educator, making a a safer, a more equitable learning environment for my trainees and a work environment for the trainees that will become future physicians, that I have to do it for them. But I think it's so important that we do that so that we can try to change things for the future. With interactions in the clinic, patients can know who the doctor is. Whereas if you're in the hospital and it's one particular person you're not seeing all the time, that it ends up causing some confusion. And And I agree. In the outpatient setting, it's easier, I think, because they are only seeing that one person. What really brings joy to you in your career? What really keeps you getting up every day to keep seeing your patients and to not call it quits? Yeah. There are so many things that detract from our joy. So what are the things that do fill our cup? And for me, I love my patient population. My primary patient population are people who live with migraine. And it's a hugely underserved, underdiagnosed, underidentified, undertreated population who often are very desperate by the time they get to us as a tertiary quaternary center here at Mayo. I just love like diving in with those patients and making sure they know that I believe them and I see them and I hear them and that we have options and that I'm dedicated to trying to get them to a point where they have a better quality of life. I call all my patients migraine warriors. I'm like, you're not a sufferer. You're not a victim of your disease. You are someone who's going to be empowered against your chronic disease. I think that's a big thing for me that, that just fills me with joy is walking down that path to recovery and improvement and a better quality of life with my patients together because it's a partnership whenever it's chronic diseases. The other thing that really does fill my cup is working with my interns, working with my trainees, being a small part of their journey to whatever field of medicine they're going into and being their introduction to Mayo Clinic 
and the professionalism and the community that we have here and collegiality that we have here at Mayo Clinic, being able to introduce them to the Mayo family during their intern year. It's such a cool thing to be in this position as the program director for the transitional year. For me in the clinic, you become friends with everybody here. You work so close with residency compared to working in the hospital. You feel like you have to be in the, in the know in order to be hanging out with coworkers, especially if you're kind of stuck on the sidelines as a male, a lot of the other female coworkers are always hanging out. I always make the joke that I was kind of a bookworm in college, mostly because I was underage and they're all female and they're all hanging out together. And I'm like, okay, I'll hang out and just do my papers and such. Being in the clinics, you get to know the same people every day, male or female aside, it doesn't really matter. And if you're inpatient, if you're working every three, four days, it's really hard to get a groove with staying out of that whole stigma of being a minority in your right. group. I have a question for you, Tyler. On Facebook, we have a group called the Women's Neurologist Group. Do you have male nurses that you guys get together and you guys have this bond because you guys are male nurses? Or is that something just that women are doing on the other end in fields where there are less women, perhaps in leadership roles? You know, I think that really comes down to organization. I mean, how many men do you really see organizing a huge, even at the Facebook group, <laughs> you don't really see men doing that. that. <laughs> there is a men in nursing, which is a group put on for mainly college age and new grads to kind of get your feet wet and get to know people in the community. But once you get in and you're in the trenches for five years, there's really nothing. And it's not because we don't want to get to know each other. It's because we, we don't organize. We don't put up the whole Facebook thing. We just go talk to each other and converse. Other people could have a different story. But for me, that's the way it's been. That's so funny you say that, Tyler. That's really interesting. What advice would you give to other men who are wanting to enter nursing and it being still somewhat dominated by females? I would tell them to be a chameleon. Once you get into it, you start studying with them. It doesn't matter if it's men or women. You have to be able to blend in. You have to be able to just say that, hey, we're future nurses. It doesn't matter if we're men or women. We all ask each other for help. We all work together. Yeah. I think for me and my colleagues that are other female attending physicians, we've really looked at it as an equality versus equity thing. Perhaps 50-50 is not even enough right now because of the fact that there has been such limited female leadership, such limited female sponsorship and academic promotion. It's not always a conscious decision for one of our male mentors or colleagues to not think about us for that next opportunity. It happens unconsciously. And so because we're so acutely aware of that, we've really had to kind of band together to uplift each other. And we have to promote each other. And we have to support each other, write recommendations for each other, encourage each other. Even if a male leader says, oh, I don't know if you're ready for that. It might be a good idea to go and speak with a female leader to make sure she also feels the same way because there might be a little bit of unconscious bias that's going on. And then really empowering each other as well, male and female, empowering everyone to be able to be not just a bystander, but an upstander in situations in which there are microaggressions. Our Mayo Women's Health, they did a tri-site study where they were looking at Grand Rounds introductions and 
95% of the time when a male is introducing a male speaker, they use Dr. So-and-so, their professional title, and only 49% of the time for a female speaker, do they use the professional title rather than their first name. That's an amazing stat to me. I feel like once you get up to the full-fledged MD, once in your own practice, that those biases kind of come out. All the residents here in the professional setting, we address them as Dr. So-and-so, but in the bullpen, we address them by the first name, doesn't matter the male or female, but obviously in a, in a professional setting in front of the patients, we still address them by their professional letters. I don't understand how that gets lost in translation later on. If it's happening subconsciously or unconsciously, it's normal for males to be doctor so-and-so and they just command more potential respect. It's good though for all of us to be that upstander, even if it means that it's a slightly uncomfortable conversation initially, I think it's mm-hmm. worth it so that we get to a point where there is change. Yeah, and I feel the days of male or female dominating a specific area becoming more and more split. I feel like it's something that's positive, but at the same time, people need to understand that it's going to happen. Like you were talking about males presenting themselves as doctor and introducing you as your first name. It needs to start changing now if it's going to ever change. I want to tell you a story of hope about change. I have a little boy. When he was four or five years old, we had gone to a work event and there were many physicians, male, female. Many of my friends are female physicians. I introduced one of my male physician colleagues to him and I said, this is Dr. So-and-so. And he looked at me and he said, no, boys can be doctors too. And I was like, what? Of course they can be doctors too. But I realized that he only knew his world was all female physicians. So in his little world, he didn't realize that boys could be doctors too. Obviously, we can make change happen. Obviously, I was like, yes, honey, you can be a doctor too. If that's what you want to do, you can be anything you want. By being an upstander, by having these conversations, by making sure that our kids and our trainees and our young people see that we're making these active conscious decisions to bring more equity to society and the workplace, it's gonna change. What has your experience been? Consider discussing with colleagues ways to reduce gender stereotypes, whether in your career or personal life.